seated. Welcome. Today, so glad to have you. We are, my name's Ryan Walker. Hi. Um, we are this summer going through a series on the book of Acts. And we've had different people speaking, and it's been a, a cool journey and getting to hear some of these different stories from different perspectives. Um, in, the, in the spirit of this whole series has been, let's study the early church. Let's study what God is doing and see and look at all of the different ways where the Spirit of God working in us and through us to advance His kingdom. And different people, different disciples and people in the book of Acts, and we've heard some cool stories. We're going to hear another one today, but before we get to it, I want to give you a little story of how I got here today. Not the drive-in this morning, but ultimately kind of in my life journey, what brought me here to this stage in this moment. And a big part of it was my freshman dorm assignment. I went to the University of Texas back in the 1900s, and a long time ago, and um, I applied for a dorm and didn't really care where, and I kind of looked, and you know, the biggest one on UT campus, or at least at that time, was a, a big building called Jester. And I thought, it sounds cool to kind of be in the middle of everything, so I'll, that's my first choice. And I got assigned to the 10th floor of Jester. And what I didn't know when I filled out that random application was that there was a guy named John McCormick, who was a senior at the University of Texas living in the dorms. If you, other colleges might be normal. At the University of Texas, most people stay in the dorms for one year and then they're out. At least that's how it was back then. This guy said, I'm in for the long haul. And he was in for one reason. And it was to meet people like me who weren't following Jesus and didn't know where they were in life. And he wanted to tell them about God and share his life with them. I was in the right place at the right time to meet God. And I was not open to it. This was not an easy, like, one time, you know, oh my gosh, you know, the heavens open. This was a year-long haul of me being like, John, I don't want to be your friend. Almost saying that literally at times. And this guy saying, you know what? I believe this is the right place and the right time for this guy to have a moment with God. And it took a whole year. And by the end of that year, I started following Jesus. And it was an unbelievable year, and so many things happened in my life, so many things that God did, but there was this, this thing created by God, this right place, right time thing, where I was somewhere that somebody was ready to share Jesus and be bold and lay down their life for me. Have any of you guys had an experience like that in your life, where you look back and you go, you know what, if it wasn't for these series of dominoes that I ultimately had no choice and I had no control over, but God did something or a series of somethings to put me in a situation to be blessed, have my life changed. And it's so many of our stories. We're going to read a story today from the book of Acts. This is chapter 8. We're going to read uh, about a guy named Philip, who if you've been kind of following along in chapter 6, the apostles ran into this thing where they realized we just need more people to help with some of the stuff, to really help with some of the, the mercy ministry of the early church and giving out bread and making sure everybody was loved and cared for. And they appointed these seven guys. And we learned about Stephen last week. If you're here, Andrew was talking about forgiveness. And, and Stephen was one of those guys. Today, this is Philip, who's one of those guys. So we're going to read this story together. If you could stand with me, we're going to read this story, and then we're going to talk about it. So this is, if you want to follow along in your Bible, this is Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 30. Are we pulling, do we have it up on the thing? Okay, awesome. I'll, I'll read, and you can read along. If you can see it. Okay. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Do you understand what you're reading, Philip asked? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. He invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch, this is an Ethiopian eunuch that was said in a verse earlier, the, the eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was like a sheep led, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, lost my spot. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Amen. Be seated. Pretty awesome story, and, and this is a guy who looks back on his life and says, man, how did I get here? Well, there was this moment. I was sitting in my chariot reading Isaiah like I tend to do, and this random guy came up. And this thing that had confounded me as I had read it before, and I never understood, he explained it to me in a new way, and God changed my life. And that day I got baptized, and I, it was this game-changing moment for this guy. If you, I don't know if you've ever done much evangelism, but if you're standing somewhere and you hear someone reading Isaiah aloud, and they say, how can I understand this if someone, unless someone explains it to me? That is what they call a, an easy gig. That doesn't get a whole lot easier than I'm standing somewhere and the guy over here is reading Isaiah aloud, this prophetic scripture about Jesus, and going, ah, I just wish someone would explain what it means. Has anyone had that? That's an open door, right? Right place, right time. Today we're going we're gonna to study and look at what does it take to be in the right place at the right time. Philip was there, but he was there for a whole lot of reasons. And so we're going to go, this is kind of like a, a sermon in reverse. We're going to go backwards and go, how did Philip get here? How did this happen that he's standing there and a guy is reading Isaiah out loud and going, I only wish somebody would explain it to me. In verse 29, we're going to just one verse right before that. The Spirit, this is, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stand near it. Pretty simple, right? And so that's, that's why he was standing right by the chariot. If he'd been standing across the road, he wouldn't have known what the guy was doing. He would have just seen some random guy reading a book. But he went and stood right near it. Now, the whispers of the Lord, that's a random thing for God to ask, right? He didn't, God didn't say, go share the gospel, go, be, go pray in the Spirit. No, he said, just go stand by the chariot. In the whispers of God, the little inklings that sometimes you're not even sure, is that the Lord? I don't know, but is it, what do I risk? I could go stand near the chariot. I could, we'll see, right? I'm going to roll the dice on this one. But the whispers of the Lord are constant, always. God is, I think, inviting us into stuff and little stuff and putting us in places just 10 feet away from where we would have been. But it takes an intimacy. There is an intimacy to say, I'm asking, I'm kind of walking around wondering, God, what would you have me do? Do you want me to go over here or go over there? Do you want me to go to this cash register or, or do self-checkout today? What, what is the thing, God, where I can just be 
just 10 feet closer to your presence and what you're doing in this place. And then to say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, maybe this line's a little longer. Maybe that side of the street's not as easy to walk on as this one, but I'm going to go stand over there by the chariot because I, I just think that's what God's doing. And I'm going to look a little weird standing next to a chariot that's not mine, and the guy's going to go, this is my chariot. You know, this is, you got to step off. I'm going to risk that moment because I think God's doing something. And if you go back even a little further in verse 26 and verse 27, we, we kind of find out how Philip got in town. Because he had had some other adventures. Before we read this, let me share a little bit about what we're not reading from Acts chapter 8. Philip had, had gone to this other place and shared the gospel, and this whole city basically comes to the Lord, and all this crazy stuff happens. It's a phenomenal story. You should read it. There's a sorcerer involved, and wild stuff. You know, I mean, I can't, I, I can't oversell it. Um, but in, in verse 26, after all that, it says, uh, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace. Tells who that guy is. But the whole point is, sometimes God tells us to go do something, and it's not, the destination isn't everything. The, the, where God told him to go wasn't where this thing happened. It happened on the way. It says on the way he met this guy. But he started going because God said, let's go. The destination is, sometimes God is not necessarily putting us in place as much as he is putting us in motion. Right? Sometimes he's putting us in place and it's like, wow, God told me to go do this one thing and I did it and that was the perfect place to be. But sometimes God is just putting us in motion and saying, hey, why don't you just start hanging out here? And you might start hanging out there and taking your kids to this certain park every day for a, for a month before something happens, but God's putting us in motion to be out, to be where people are, to be in a spot, to, to see a moment, to see something happen. And so that's what happens. Philip obeys. Philip says, all right. This is, I mean, it's hard to walk away from. Who's ever visited a city and a church planting movement broke out while you were there? And a sorcerer comes to the Lord. I, I haven't. But if I did, I would kind of go, man, I think I should stick around here. This is Stuff is going on. I mean, it's a big deal. That's what happens in the first half of chapter 8 is a big deal. But God says, you know what, Philip, I want you to go, go, go get on the road and go to Gaza. And Philip does it. He says, all right, I'm up for it. I'm ready to do this. So let's go back a little further. How did he get there? Well, we, we shared about this story in, in Acts chapter 8 where he goes to the city and shares, and this is in Samaria, he shares Jesus with a bunch of people who were kind of a lot of people weren't sharing Jesus with. Um, he sees this church planning movement. But the way he got there, we're going back a little further, was there was a great persecution. In Acts chapter 7, what happens, and if you were here last week, Andrew talked about it, they start really coming after these believers. Some of the people in power, some of the religious leaders had kind of had enough and said, you know what, we're going to go hard after some of this stuff. And so they execute, there was these seven guys that had been chosen to literally, their crime was giving out bread in the name of Jesus, and they're being bold and sharing God, but they said, done with it. And this guy's going to be executed. His name is Stephen. And Stephen shares the word of the Lord with them in boldness and forgives them as he dies. And basically what happens is everyone realizes some of us might need to leave town and, and start going somewhere else, right? And so Acts chapter 8, verse 4 describes how they left town, because this is important. How you leave really, really matters. It says, those who had been scattered preached the word 
wherever they went. The enemy had a cool idea. Let's kill some Christians and really scare them. And it turned out to be a horrible idea in the schemes of the enemy because they left and they started doing exactly what God had told them to do. They started going everywhere and everywhere they went, they preached the gospel. And so you've got this guy, Philip, full of the Holy Spirit. He's been in Jerusalem with everything going on and learning from the apostles and studying and preaching and teaching and building this Jerusalem church. And all of a sudden, he's scattered. And what happens is the gospel doesn't die because he leaves this place, but the gospel spreads like wildfire. And not just Philip, but the rest of the book of Acts is rife with stories of these people leaving, leaving not by choice, not even out of necessarily obedience, but leaving because it just they had to leave. And circumstances dictated that now I'm going to be somewhere else. And not only the place I go to, but everywhere along the way, I'm going to be preaching the gospel because of how he had been impacted and who he was. This great persecution breaks out. How did he get to be one of the guys who had to leave the persecution? Let's go back one step further. Well, he was one of the seven that was chosen. And if you don't have this on a slide, but if you read how they chose the seven, tell me how you would feel if this was your part in the story. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip. I want to welcome up to the stage two of our pastors, Chris Otts, a man whose teachings inspire me, whose, whose pastoral ministry is a gift to our family, and Andrew Weibel come up also. Neat. And the other five guys get named thusly. Philip is not left alone. But basically, this one guy is like the, the cat's pajamas. And then here's Philip too. Don't forget about Philip. Sometimes at work, I'll, I'll, I'll single someone out as a joke, and I'll say, we've got the dream team. We've got all of our best people on this and Reuben. Um, but, that's, but that's how he's named. And so let me ask you this. If that's how you're in the Bible, how does that feel? Kind of a bummer. Like, who am I? What am I? I thought I was really doing this thing. And he's kind of left out. Also, the list of people, guess the honorable great thing they're being chosen to do is give out bread to the widows. Now, that's an honorable, awesome thing to do, but he's seeing these other guys that are like healing people and doing this crazy stuff and preaching to thousands. And, hey, you guys are going to give out the bread awesome. But he recognized something powerful. He said, I'm going to be faithful here. I'm going to learn. I'm going to soak this stuff up, and I'm going to become full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do this stuff and preach the gospel in everything I'm doing. My circumstances aren't a prison. They're not where I'm stuck. They're not everything that's holding me back. My circumstances are actually my ministry. And I believe that's the call of God for every one of us in every situation, wherever we're at, in every season of life, is to say, what are my circumstances? Because there's some things I can't just snap my fingers and change today. I'm living in this place. I'm living in this city. I've got this family situation, these roommates, whatever. That's my circumstances. That's where I am. And I believe that God's desire is not to just transform my circumstances, but to say, hey, guess what, Ryan? That's actually, that's your ministry. That's the place where you have the most influence you're going to have. Right? Right? I could go, and we just sent a team to Columbia, and God bless them. It's a, we believe in this. We're sending people overseas to go do this stuff and preach the gospel and be there for a moment to do something 
different and to kind of rock our own lives a little bit and see the gospel come there and do some cool stuff. But that's a training ground. Ultimately, those people all come back and guess what? Your influence here in Austin, Texas is a hundred times what it is on a, on a two-week trip to Columbia, right? And God's calling you here to say, do this here. And wherever you go, you're going to be like Philip. And everywhere he went, he preached the gospel. He had been trained and understood, this is how I lived. And my circumstances become just a setting for the story. A lot of times we allow our circumstances to become the story. And we believe our life is told by where we are and what we are kind of doing. In reality, it is, this is the setting for God to do something awesome. Philip comes in with that. In the the greater context, even going back to the very beginning of the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus made it really, really clear to all the believers present. He said, you're going to wait here. The Holy Spirit is going to come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, where they were, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost ends of the earth. And he said that, and then the Holy Spirit came, and all this amazing stuff happened. And I think Mick Murray was here a couple weeks ago, and he is a better student than I am. So he knew that, he was like, it was like seven years, or what was it, five, several years had happened between that moment, and these guys are still in Jerusalem. And awesome stuff was happening, and people were coming to the Lord, but God had said, hey, I actually kind of want you guys to spread your wings a little bit. Go to Judea, go to Samaria, go to the uttermost ends of the earth. So that's where, how do you get to be at the right place at the right time? Well, a lot of stuff happened, right, to get Philip there. But then, you know what happened when he got there? There's a verse in here. Let me read this, because we probably missed it. The eunuch is reading Isaiah. He said, man, tell me, please, what does this mean? And in the ESV it says, then Philip opened his mouth. Key step, right? Right place, right time, cool story. But there's a big difference between telling your friends, craziest deal. This guy was reading Isaiah out loud, and he said, if only someone would explain it to me. Like, what happened next? It's like, man, I had to go get lunch. I was getting hungry, so I left different story, right? Versus, man, I I actually traveled with him and I baptized him and he's following the Lord and then I got teleported to this other city. That's a better story, right? That's a better, I don't know if you've done any, you know, PR, but that's a better, that plays a little better. He opened his mouth. He was bold. So let's read right place, right time. What does God have to say about right place, right time? We're going to now go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And I think God has something significant to say to us about being in the right place at the right time. In, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. What I believe this says to us is, you are in the right place at the right time. God has absolutely prepared things for you to do that are within arm's reach of where you are. This is a big deal to say, okay, I'm, I'm wanting something to happen. I'm wanting to, to work with the Lord and, and do cool stuff, but I just feel like, man, if only I was there, if only I was in this other nation where, where people are doing this, if only I was serving in this other capacity where I could really, and God's saying, you know what? 
you are where you are. And that may change, it may not. But he has absolutely prepared good works in advance for you. Raise your hand and say, me. For you to do. One of the things that gets in our way of this kind of mindset of my circumstances are my ministry. I am where I belong and God has something for me to do. A thing that gets in our way is is perspective. And what we choose to focus on. And I think to understand that we have to consider the rhinoceros painter. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Probably not. So we've got a cartoon and it might be tough to see. So I'm going to try and illustrate here. This is a cartoon. There's a rhinoceros. Is the thing in the way? I'll move the thing back. Will that help? Everybody's got to see this. This is important. There's a rhinoceros. He's painting a portrait of an elephant. Right? If you look over here in the portrait, you can see the elephant looks exactly the same. And there's this big thing here. Does anyone know what it is? It's a rhinoceros horn. And then you look at all of his other pictures. Zoom in here to the next. Every one of his pictures has something in common, right? This is going to be up for the rest of the sermon. I told Chris. I sent this to Chris a week ago. He said, what do you need for the sermon? I said, I need this picture to be on the screen. He said, man, I hope you aren't joking because I love it. And I said today, I said, it's going to be on the screen for a while. Are you down with that? He said, you do you, man. YOLO. So here we are. So here's the thing. This is how we paint our picture. You're looking out and there's something out here that's worth painting. There is a good work prepared in advance for you to do. And what you're seeing is your circumstances. And you're making that part of the thing when it should be like, hey, God has something here for me. Right? And, and these circumstances are just the things that put me here to be able to do this thing. I think back to my story of being in Jester, and I know that it is entirely possible that I could have been assigned to the, the Jester West ninth floor instead of the 10th floor, and I never would have met this guy. And I believe God maybe had a, you know, some other plans if that had worked out that way. I don't know. But I know that's possible. I know that it could have gone that way. But you know what else could have happened that would have been probably worse is if I had been on the Jester 10th floor and John had been sitting in his room going, man, why am I living in the stinking dorm as a senior? And focused on his circumstances and going, I just want to go be somewhere else. If he had been there and not opened his mouth, that would have been the worst thing I could have imagined for my life and where it went. He didn't focus on his circumstances. He focused on what are the things around here that God wants to do and how can I be a part of it? And you know the reason he got there doing that with that perspective and having that mindset and those priorities is because a couple years earlier there was a guy named Clark Zombreaker. And Clark was in the dorm and he was looking out his window praying, God, I want to see something happen here. I want to serve you. And he looked out his his uh, window in the dorm and he saw a guy smoking out in the jester concourse and he was like I want to meet that guy and he started praying for that guy and that guy was John McCormick and John McCormick started following the Lord and, and got discipled by Clark and learned how to follow Jesus and love God and serve him and say I want to be there I want to be the Clark for the next guy right and God works in these amazing ways but he works through us And the crazy thing is, we've got free will to say, I'm going to participate or I'm not. 
And God's inviting us into, if you'll join me, if you'll just go stand by that chariot, things might get crazy. And we have no idea what's going to happen. We don't know what's possible. Maybe I'll go stand by the chariot and the guy says, hey, I'm reading my Archie comic. Get out of here. Could have happened. I think that historically that might not add up. I don't know when Archie was first published, but anything could have happened, right? But what happened was this amazing God moment. So I want you to think today as we look at this painting, what's your rhino horn? What's the thing that you're putting in all your pictures that God's saying, I want you to maybe just look at what's out there. And there's different things for different ones of us. I know for so many of us, just the responsibilities that we're, we have at this moment, whether it's your job, you've got kids in the house, if you've got any kind of responsibilities, you can imagine, if you're a student, there are things that feel burdensome. It feels like this is not my dream situation. Right? This is not my Barbie mansion dream house. And it's easy to focus on that stuff and feel like it's a limitation. It's easy to see that first when you look at your life and what could God do? It's like, well, nothing yet because I've got these preschoolers and once they get out of the house, then I can really start. And maybe you've got those preschoolers because God has good works prepared in advance for somebody who's got little preschoolers with them. And if you don't have them, it's just not going to be available. When you, when you think about that, whatever your thing is, that you would say, this is my rhino horn. How does, I want you to ask yourself, how does God see that thing? When, when, when I look at my life and I see the limitations, I see the things that are burdensome, that make my life more difficult, how does God look at that stuff? It might be something that's going to change. It might be something really rough that happened because of a bad choice or someone else's bad choice and you're in a situation that God really wants to move you out of. And even if that's the case, I am convinced that God wants to do something in that circumstance. One of the other things that happens in the book of Acts is a lot of these guys go to prison. It's not a nice prison. I, I don't know if many of them are, but th these are rough. Rough situation. They're in chains. And yet, in the midst of those circumstances, even though God we know God wants to rescue him out because he does. There's miraculous rescues and they leave prison. But in the meantime, stuff is happening. They're ministering to prison guards. They're seeing a movement with the other prisoners. And so whatever that situation, whatever the thing that you would look at and go, this is just my, my, my stuck, God would say, no, this is actually where I'm going to move right now. So then the question is, how can we partner with God? How can we get on board and say, God, I want to do it. I want to, there's stuff prepared. I don't know what it is, but I want to dive in all the way. And I believe the prayer is this. And I prayed this at the very beginning of my message. God, in your power, in your mercy and love, make this the right place and the right time for something great to happen. And I think that prayer changes our whole attitude, right? If you're running errands and hot because it's 128 degrees in our city right now and the AC is not working because no AC is meant to overcome that, and you've got all this stuff against you of like, man, this day is just the worst, and I've just got to get through it. And if you will turn and say, I'm going to make my prayer, God, 
Make this the moment. I'm here. It's now. In your power, in your mercy, make this the moment for something awesome to happen. And you don't always know what that thing is. You know, sometimes the story doesn't pay off because it's someone else's story. And maybe you're going to bless somebody or share a word with somebody and they're going to go, okay, and, and kind of leave. And the next day they're sharing it with a friend and it's changing their life. You have no idea. And we're not living on the results. We're not here so we can get some awesome story and get teleported. That would be cool. Please email me if that happens. But that's not what we're living for, right? We're living to say, I was there with Jesus. Jesus said, go stand by the chariot. And I went and that's, once I got there, I realized that's where he was. And you know what? What happens here, this encounter with this other fallen person might go great and it might not, but I was with him. When we make our hearts available and say, God, I'm here and I, all I long for right now, this might be, become an even more frustrating day because of this prayer, but I want this to be the right place and the right time for something great to happen. And I think when we do that, our eyes open up in a whole new way. And we see the world, and we can, I think a big part of it when we teach our kids about what we're doing, right, is, is hey, you know, we're going to go to this different place today because here's what we're, we're praying for. We want God to do this, and so we're going to go to a, a park that it's a little further away today. We're going to go play with a friend that you guys, it's not your best friend, but it's someone we're trying to make friends with because we want to bless them. We want to be good friends to them. And teaching our kids that this is a value, right? And reminding ourselves that, you know what, I'm living like this on purpose. I'm putting myself in spots, and then when I get there, I'm just going, God, Make this the right place. Make this the right time. So we're going to close with that. If, I think I'm a couple minutes early. If the band can come up here, we're going to do some ministry time. Uh, another, I, I really liked when Mick came a couple weeks ago. I'm a big Mick Murray fan. When Mick came a couple weeks ago, another thing he said is he gave us a lunch discussion question, which I thought was awesome. So I wrote it down. I said, we're going to have a lunch discussion question when I speak. Um, and the lunch dis- discussion question is real simple. It's this, right? What am I painting on my picture right now? What are the things that I'm putting on there that's a limitation? It's a way that I'm pretending I'm a little further away from this opportunity than, our, than God says that I am. Right? Because the, the, this, is the lie, this is the lie detector, right? If I feel one way and this says something else, that means I'm wrong. Real, it's real simple, right? Uh, I always, you know, relationships, if you're married, relationships are difficult because you're both fallen. You're both wrong a lot of the time. Sorting out who's which is difficult. Relationship with God is very simple. Only one of you is ever wrong. So if, you're, if I'm feeling something and God says something different, God says, I'm his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for me to do. That is true. And I feel like there's just nothing happening. Well, I guess I'm wrong. Right? And so the lunch discussion question is, what's my thing? What's the thing I keep putting in front of myself that says this isn't the moment for God to do something great? And how can I partner with him? So we're going uh, to have some worship music. We, I think we can take the rhino down. I think he got his airtime, sufficient airtime. Um, but I, we're going to uh, have some worship music. We're going to have some people up here if you want to pray with somebody. But I would invite you to just have a moment with God as we sing this song and as they play, they play and just say, God, will you open up my eyes? Will you change my perspective and help me to pray that prayer? To say, God, make this the right time. Make this the right place. So I'm going to pray. 
Jesus, I, I asked at the very beginning of this message that you would make today a moment for every one of us to take a step towards you. For some of us, that is trusting you in a certain situation. For some of us, it's asking for wisdom in a place where we don't know what to do. For some of us, it might be a day of, of making a choice to trust you as our Lord, as our God. But for every one of us today, I just ask in your mercy and your power, would you make today the moment that that could take place and we could move forward and be closer to you? In Jesus' name.